Hello and welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. For our 23rd episode, we visit with Harold Feld. Harold is the Senior Vice President of Public Knowledge. Public Knowledge is one of the leading organizations dedicated to the balance of an open internet, copyright protections, and telecommunications law. Harold is also the author of his blog, Tales of the Sausage Factory. Harold and Chris discuss the economic realities of antitrust enforcement and how it has inspired AT&T to invest in its network. The two also discuss current telecommunications policy and regulation from a historical perspective. They talk about the hurdles that will need to be scaled for effective policy moving forward. Here are Chris and Harold. Harold Feld, uh, you are the Senior Vice President of Public Knowledge. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on Community Broadband Bits. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was actually on a public knowledge podcast with Michael Weinberg uh, a year ago, I believe, and uh, it was a good discussion. Can you tell us uh, what public knowledge does? Public knowledge is a digital rights advocacy group. We're based in Washington, D.C. What we try to do is make sure the public has a seat at the table for the very important uh, policy discussions that shape our digital future. So uh, that means trying to fight for sensible copyright policies that don't allow the content holders to overreach and shut down people's rights online and don't interfere with the development of new technologies. Uh, But we also care very much about making sure everybody has access uh, to broadband and in a way that uh, the companies providing it can censor and ensuring that it's affordable. Uh, So we're very active on broadband uh, issues as well. And you've actually been around for a very long time in these fights. Uh, I know you have been active in community broadband way back before I was. Uh, So we really appreciate uh, your expertise on these matters. I'm hoping to start the conversation by uh, an interesting post that you had put up, which suggested that, in fact, it was a a regulatory decision that has led to AT&T's recent investment decisions and their um, request for changes in regulation. So can you tell us why it matters what the FCC did with the merger? Yes. Well, this this cannot be emphasized enough because the conventional wisdom is that, oh, regulation is bad and it kills investment. And and even people who were opposing the AT&T T-Mobile merger usually did it on, well, you know, they'll be able to overcharge and uh, that'll be bad for consumers, all of which was true. But even the people who opposed it seemed to be saying, well, you know, we just have to accept that AT&T won't build out if they don't get what they want. We argued at Public Knowledge that No, companies make their investment decisions based on the market realities, not on getting regulatory treats from, uh, you know, federal and state government. So when AT&T came along and said, well, we want to buy T-Mobile so that we'll have lots of spectrum and therefore be able to do all this good stuff, uh, we argued, no, AT&T has spectrum. They have a network. The problem is they don't want to invest in upgrading that network. Uh, They'd rather buy a company, take out a competitor, uh, and simply gobble up, you know, that company and those resources rather than improving uh, and investing in the resources they have. And the reason for that is very simple. Uh, Not only do you get rid of a uh, potential competitor, but also Wall Street rewards you when you buy a company by sending your stock up, and it punishes you when you do investment uh, by selling your stock off. So if you're AT&T, you know, you say, okay, would I rather spend billions of dollars upgrading my network or would I rather spend billions of dollars buying somebody? Uh, given the choice, they'd rather buy people 
What was important here was that regulators didn't give them the choice. They said, no, we're not going to let you take out one of the four uh, major competitors. We need that competition. And in fact, that competition is what's going to force you to invest in your network and upgrade your network. And the moral is, that was the right decision. AT&T had promised to invest $8 billion in uh, its wireless network if it was allowed to buy T-Mobile, while sending $25 billion overseas to, uh, uh, to Deutsche Telekom. Uh, now, AT&T has said they will invest $14 billion uh, in their uh, network, uh, instead of the $8 billion that they'd promised. So we're seeing $6 billion more coming in from the fact that the merger was denied. Add on to that, that Deutsche Telekom is invested $5 billion in T-Mobile. So altogether, the decision to rely on antitrust and some of the additional pro-competitive uh, um, policies that the FCC has adopted over the last year with regard to spectrum concentration uh, have meant that instead of seeing maybe an investment of $8 billion and losing a, a, a major competitor, uh, we're actually seeing uh, an investment of $19 billion uh, in the network, and we have competition. Is it also accurate to say that um, the value to AT&T of T-Mobile wasn't just getting new spectrum, but blocking anyone else from having that spectrum, like like a toddler might view having a toy? Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, look, uh, I'm not one of these who believes that, that you get anywhere by, uh, um, you know, just uh, saying, well, these companies are, are, are evil. They're not evil, but they are, they can certainly sometimes come off like spoiled children. And, you know, AT&T was typical of this. They wanted to have, to, to buy out T-Mobile, um, which not only would have given them a new network and new spectrum, but also would have uh, uh, taken out a competitor. Um, everybody would love to take out a, uh, a competitor if you're in business. No business likes having, uh, you know, competition. So, was rational on their part. And then afterwards, they threw a six-month tantrum where, you know, Randall Stevenson said at all these press conferences, everything, well, we don't have a real strategy now because the FCC wouldn't let us buy T-Mobile. So there. But you know what? Companies that want to survive, get over it. And looking at the, their current network setup and their current, you know, and how it all works out, AT&T very rationally said, look, you know, we're not going to be able to buy anybody else out. Um, we're just going to have to bite the bullet and do the network investment, just like Verizon did uh, back uh, uh, five years ago, uh, and uh, you know, take our lumps on Wall Street, because that's the only way we're going to be able to survive. So I think the takeaway then is that uh, something that I would I heartily agree with you. These companies are not evil, um, but they also make their decisions based on what's best for the growth of their company in their eyes, not based on whether or not they're able to convince people in D.C. to do what they say. Exactly. And, and this is the thing. Everybody, you know, I, I sometimes get a lot of uh, uh, flack from uh, people who think that deregulation is the answer to everything by saying, well, you don't trust the market. I say, no, I trust the market completely. I love dealing with for-profit firms because I know what they want to do, maximize their revenue. So for policy purposes, I say, OK, I want to channel that. I want to channel all those positive, productive things that capital markets do well and that these companies do well. But I also got to recognize that given a choice between the pro-public policy goals of getting them to invest in their networks, getting them to offer affordable service, uh, you need to have policies in place that are going to force them uh, to do that. And that means having policies in place that make competition possible, 
uh, and that uh, address things like rural service and universal service, where just economically, uh, there is not enough business to support multiple private providers. Okay, so I think that starts to get, to get us into uh, what we're seeing from AT&T more recently, which is their request to the FCC that we revisit how essentially all telecommunications is is regulated and and I'm I'm I've been confused about it I know a lot of other people have been and so the real reason I wanted to get you on here was so you could explain to us uh, what AT&T wants to change and I think a, a bit of a focus on how it works at present yep well it's important to keep the history in mind here um, you know, uh, it's interesting because we're now at the 100th anniversary of something called the Kingsbury Commitment, which was the uh, deal that was struck by what was then AT&T's uh, general counsel, a guy named Kingsbury, and Teddy Roosevelt and his trustbusters, where the deal was you, AT&T, will get a monopoly on telephone service in the United States. And in exchange, you're going to make a commitment to having a reliable, affordable nationwide network. Uh, and that deal, you know, worked out pretty well for a bunch of things. But it came with there were regulations and expectations that were imposed on AT&T as the monopoly provider in order to make sure that rural uh, residents got a service that was of decent quality, uh, that this was an the basic phone service would remain affordable. Um, over the years, we've introduced new technologies. We have some level of competition, particularly in urban areas, and. The newer networks, when they were coming in, particularly the cable networks that uh, were making investment in uh, Internet protocol or IP-based systems, um, said, well, we shouldn't be regulated because we're new and uh, we're uh, providing competition. We're doing all these these good things. For about uh, the last 10 years, yeah, um, it, it was in 2002 that the uh, FCC said that cable modem service uh, was an information service. Um, and therefore not regulated rather than a telecommunications service and therefore subject to the same regulations as uh, uh, AT&T and Verizon and other telephone carriers traditionally have been. Uh, and so since that time, um, you know, uh, we've had sort of two parallel systems. We've had the old phone network, which was the copper network, and it was based on a uh, technology called TDM. Don't worry about it. Just it's the old phone network. Um, that had a lot of rules around it. They, some of these were historic rules that were put in place to protect consumers. Uh, there was something called carrier of last resort or color, um, which means that wherever you are in the service territory, you're entitled to get uh, phone service. Um, and on the um, IP side, which was mostly cable and you know some guys like Vonage and other uh, IP providers, there was really no regulations, so no basic consumer protections around pricing or privacy, uh, no uh, um, uh, requirement to serve everybody. Yeah, I think it would come as a surprise to many people that that when you buy you know telephone service from Comcast or or Time Warner Cable or one of the other cable companies, even though it looks like a phone and acts like a phone, it's not really a phone for purposes of regulation. A lot of the consumer protections that you have in the traditional phone system, you don't actually have on the IP side. Wireless service has been sort of in between, you know, the as a regulatory service. What we said was, if you're going to be uh, uh, 
Uh, a wireless carrier, you're kind of like a phone system, but the FCC will have an ability to deregulate you in a bunch of ways that they traditionally had not deregulated the phone service. And now, so wireless service has always had less regulation for consumer protection or for uh, universal service than uh, uh, in universal service. I mean, uh, you know, everybody is entitled to service uh, than uh, the traditional phone service. Uh, and now that's becoming even more significant as we roll out LTE, which is the 4G new wireless technology, because the voice component of the LTE is not going to be a separate voice service the way it is now on uh, these phones, but it's going to be IP-based. So we're moving to a world where everything's going to be IP, but we don't have a lot of the social policies that we've had for the last 100 years on our phone network in the IP world. In fact, we have very little actual regulation uh, in the IP world. So this is a big, big switch. So I can I can sum it up by basically saying AT&T, you know, has been around forever. And in recent years, the technology has changed, allowing many of its competitors to take advantage of, of not having to make the same payments and follow the same regulations that AT&T has. And now AT&T wants to take advantage of that as well. And the question is, you know, who is going to uphold, make sure that everyone has high quality of service, make sure that when a tornado rips through Missouri that, that people have phones that will work and, um, and make sure that cell towers are, are well provisioned. It's sort of everything seems up for discussion then is what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and this is where you know people need to be very conscious about all of the stuff we've taken for granted uh, about the phone system. Uh, it's kind of like the postal system. You know, everybody would say, oh, the post office is obsolete. It just sends junk mail. Nobody writes letters anymore. Uh, but then when we actually said, hey, let's shut down rural postal service because it's too expensive and we don't need it anymore, suddenly we discovered, hey, a lot of people are depending on this. This is really important in rural communities, uh, even uh, also in urban communities, particularly in uh, neighborhoods where uh, practically the only people willing to go in and deliver stuff for the post office. Um, there's, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot at stake here that people don't notice because we just take it all for granted. Um, we have the same thing that's going on here. On the one hand, what AT&T wants makes total economic sense for AT&T. Um, they're saying, look, we can't compete with cable guys who don't have to bring service to more expensive areas. We can't uh, bring copper out to, to these places because copper is very expensive to maintain. So we're going to switch things all over to these you know, better and more powerful internet uh, networks. At the same time, we also are going to charge more for them, and we want to be deregulated in the same way that, uh, that our competitors are. I want competition, but I don't want competition that leaves people behind. I don't want us to be um, the first industrialized country to actually step back from nearly 100% penetration on voice service and go to, well, 95% is good enough because, you know, sacrificing 5% of people in rural area means that all of the other people who get the network get a better network. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's the social policy we should pursue. I think it's safe to say I don't agree with AT&T that they can't afford to do these things and that these things aren't possible. But at the same time, we have to recognize the reality that um, our regulations are somewhat old and, and it's not fair to many of the people involved, many of the businesses that they're fighting under different rules. Uh, what I'm curious about is it seems that 
we, we've had this discussion for a number of years. Oh, we need Congress to rewrite the Telecommunications Act. Uh, is that going to happen under this president? Is that going to be pushed off for the future? Who's going to do it? It seems like what, FC, what AT&T is doing is trying to get the FCC to do that. Uh, can you help me clear up a little bit my understanding there? Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's basically right. I mean, the fact is that the FCC has more authority than, than has it's generally given credit for in these areas. The reason why our IP-based networks are unregulated and regulation has been sort of trapped and attached to the old telephone network has been a deliberate policy choice under the statute. What AT&T is saying is that, yeah, you know, uh, um, we want to move this along in a direction that we feel that the FCC can move this. Of course, AT&T's choice is we'd like to be unregulated like everybody else. We, we understand that that's probably not in the cards, says AT&T, but at the same time, we'd like to be as unregulated as possible. The FCC really here has two choices. One is do you try to come up with something that works for all of the IP-based networks? Um, you know, say, look, cable guys, you had 10 years of total dereg to get your systems in place. Um, you know, all of you uh, uh, guys who are built and using IP, uh, we now need to recognize that you're no longer an extra service. And while we don't want the same rules that we had for copper network because technology is very different, economic circumstances are very different. Um, we need to have some basic rules of the road. You know, we need to, to all sit down and figure out, you know, now you're not a cable network, you're a communications company. Um, how's that going to work? AT&T, Verizon, CenturyLink, all of the rest of you guys, you know, what are the rules we're going to have that mean that everybody is making sure their networks are reliable, that they stand up uh, to uh, to uh, these uh, natural disasters and uh, where they need repair, they get repaired quickly, um, that people still have affordable service, and we still have policies that protect competition so that all of the good stuff that comes out of these IP networks, the the uh, um, you know the innovation, uh, more powerful uh, and faster uh, broadband networks, um, where are we gonna, how are we going to make sure that we got enough competition coming so that those companies will want to keep upgrading and passing on those benefits to consumers. So that's one approach. The other problem is that the FCC say, well, it's too politically hard to bring the cable people into this conversation. Um, so we have to come up with a solution that uses the regulatory hooks we have into AT&T and the other telephone networks. And maybe that's less Fair, although I'm not terribly worried about fairness. I mean, you know, AT&T had a good run of, of 60, 70 years as a monopoly provider. The wireline guys that are under telephone regulations got a lot of privileges to go along with those regulations. So, you know, but the, the real question is we look out for everybody. This isn't some sports game where we care about, you know, well, are, are you fair? Are you playing your best? And is everybody having a good time? Yeah, you know, this is social policy. This is this is this you know people's lives. They can you know connect to nine one one or not, and people's economic livelihoods as well as what's fair to AT and T or the other wireline companies. So you know even if the FCC takes an approach that is focused on 
Well, I got the telephone guys in front of me, and Congress is the one who's going to have to do something kind of more broadly for the cable guys and everybody else. We can't just say, well, all right, cable guys have no regs, so you telephone guys, you guys have no regs too. We need to have some kind of safety net in place that is going to uh, address these very real and continuing social policies that we had in the old phone network. I think the idea uh, talking about it as though it's a sport is is entertaining the way you put it. It's, you know, this is this is fundamental to almost every aspect of our economy, our education system, our healthcare, everything. It's not everybody gets a trophy. It's certainly appropriate to recognize that well, because of the way franchising worked, cable operators didn't have to deploy in rural areas the way that uh, telephone companies did. So telephone companies now have some additional uh, costs associated with it. Um, you know, I can recognize that without saying, well, and therefore that lets you off the hook and we throw rural guys under the bus. Well, this is this is only the, the tip of the iceberg, as they say. And I think we're going to we'll try and get you back on if you are able to set some time aside, because um, this is going to be really important. There's a lot of other things to discuss. And I think we'll probably solicit some questions that people have and uh, we'll be able to follow up soon, I hope. Yeah, I, I hope so. This is a conversation that we're going to be having uh, in not just in Washington, D.C., but in every state house um, as well over the next uh, couple of years. Uh, and this is really the time for people to, uh, uh, to make themselves heard. By the time the decisions are made and you're finding out about it because uh, your phone service is being cut off and your only choice is to buy uh, a wireless package that costs three times as much, that's going to be too late to, uh, to raise a ruckus. I visit my wife's parents regularly up in central Minnesota, where um, it's, it's some of the hardest territory to serve. And uh, we have wireless phone in the yard, but not in the house. And uh, you don't want to get back into a situation where you have to go outside to make phone calls all the time. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, you too. That was Christopher and Harold Feld from Public Knowledge. You can learn more about the organization's work at publicknowledge.org. You can also access Harold's blog, Tales of the Sausage Factory, at wetmachine.com. Harold has an extensive collection of work on Internet freedom, copyright, and telecommunications law and policy. If you have any questions or comments, please send us a note. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Our handle on Twitter is at communitynets. This show was released on November 27, 2012. Thanks to the Mojo Monkeys for the music, licensed using Creative Commons. The song is called Bodacious. 